Matthew chapter number 8 is going to pick back up where we left off last week. And so, just a little bit by way of review, uh, last week we said that in Matthew 4, 23, we looked at this verses a few weeks ago. This is kind of the, the intro to Jesus' ministry, and then it's the summary of Jesus' ministry, too. And uh, we said that in verse number 23, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So those are the words of Jesus' ministry. And then uh, in healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people, and his fame went throughout all, uh, all Syria. And so we've got the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus. Matthew 5-7, through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, summary of his words. And then in Matthew 8 and 9, as we looked at last week, the summary of his works. And uh, we, we said that uh, Jesus uh, went, went through uh, several situations and circumstances in Matthew 8 and 9 where he is caring for people and he is healing people and he is uh, reaching people and he is helping people. And so the display of Jesus' power, the works that Jesus does uh, in Matthew 8 and 9. Uh, and we said that uh, in those instances, Jesus had power over every single issue mentioned in Matthew 8 and 9, and not only did he have power, he took the time to deal with every single one. Jesus did not make it a collective healing. He did not make it a collective depossession of devils. He didn't make it a, a collective uh, meeting of needs. No, he dealt with each one of these instances in Matthew 8 and 9. He dealt with them specifically, individually. And, uh, you know, I, I think that ought to remind us again, and we said this last week and then again on Wednesday if you were here, but Jesus' mission was people. Uh, that's why he came. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that which was lost was not a religious organization. That which was lost was not a, 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 a hierarchy of rules. That which was lost was not an association. That which was lost was not even a, a mindset. That which was lost was people. And Jesus came to seek and to save those people. And so we see as Jesus begins his ministry, the action of Jesus's ministry, the activity, the work of Jesus's ministry was all directed towards people, caring for people, helping people, loving people, serving people. Uh, and so we see that Jesus starts out his ministry for him personally and the example that he sets for his disciple. He shows them it's all about people. It's all about people. And, uh, and that ought to, that ought to uh, convince us. As we, as we read uh, Jesus' example in Matthew 8 and 9, and all that he does and how he cares for each person that comes to him, and how he does it uniquely, and how he does it individually, and how he does it differently for every single person, uh, that ought to convince us that Jesus was all about people, that he was all about people, that he was all about us as people, as a person. Uh, that Jesus uh, cares for us individually, that he cares for us separately, that he cares for us uniquely, that whatever you are going through, whatever you're facing, whatever trial, whatever trouble, whatever questions that you have in your life, Jesus, God has allowed that into your life so Jesus can care for that personally for you if you'll take it to him. And so Jesus was about people. And we see that uh, as it plays out specifically in Matthew chapter number 8, and I want to look at one specific uh, example, and that's verses 1 through 4. And so look at Matthew chapter number 8, look at verses 1 through 4. 
And when he was come down from the mountain, the Bible says great multitudes followed him. And, and again, I, I skipped over this, but I do want to make sure that I mention this. Uh, Jesus had compassion on the multitudes, but he cared for the individual. Jesus had compassion on the multitudes, but he cared for the individual. He had compassion on people as a whole. He was moved with compassion for the multitudes. We see that at the end of chapter number 9. But Jesus cared for the individual. And this we see it right here at the beginning of Matthew chapter number 8. It says, and when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. So Jesus has compassion on the multitudes. He's allowing them to follow him. He's allowing them to hear him. He's allowing them to be with him. But when he gets to the bottom of the mountain, what happens? Verse 2, and behold, there came a leper. A leper, not a leopard, leper, a man, an individual, a person. There came unto him a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus saith unto him, See, see thou tell no man, but go thy way. And show thyself to the priest and offer a gift that, God, uh, that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now, what is so significant about this being, at least in Matthew, the first recorded miracle that Jesus does? Why, what is so significant about that? Well, first of all, under Jewish law of the day, and we've already talked a little bit about Jewish law when it came to Matthew, the tax collector, and the significance of that. But when it came to a leper with someone who had leprosy, under Jewish law, the lepers were outcasts. Lepers were considered to be unclean. And certainly they did have a disease. Leprosy, especially in the Bible time, they're, they're, even still today with modern medicine, there's not much that can be done for leprosy. But back in, in, in Jesus' day, in this leper's day, there was even less that could be done. And so a leper was an outcast. He had, to be, he had to be completely removed from society. The only people that he could be around were other people that had leprosy because leprosy was so contagious. Leprosy was so uh, uh, fast-moving and uh, would completely rot away uh, a person's flesh. And uh, so leprosy and those that had it, they were considered unclean. You can read in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 where God sets down some rules of how to handle people that had leprosy and how they were to be separate from others to protect those that were still uh, healthy and, and clean and without leprosy. But when you get to this day, Jesus' day, this leper's day, now we find that the Jewish religious leaders uh, under the rabbinical law of the day as they had in many other cases, had taken what God had given Moses and added a whole lot to it. And now what Moses had done and what God had given Moses in the law in the Old Testament to just protect people and to give lepers an opportunity to be healed through a miracle by God and, and allow them to get back into society, now that was all added onto and in addition to and, and, and what the uh, Pharisees and what the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of the day and their law, this man-made law had added to it, had completely given those that had leprosy no hope. 
completely given them no opportunity, much like Matthew, no opportunity to be restored, no opportunity to have any contact, any relationship with other people, no opportunity uh, to be able to enter into the temple and be a part of the religious activity of the day, meaning no opportunity in their minds to have a relationship with God, to have salvation. And that's where this leper found with that. And even more than that, Because leprosy was considered a death sentence. If you had leprosy, it would take literally a miracle of God to heal you. There was was no cure. It probably wouldn't happen by itself. It would take literally a miracle of God. And so it was under this Jewish law, they were required, lepers were required to wear the same exact, uh, exact type of garments that someone who was mourning someone who had died. They had to wear the exact same garments. They had to cover their heads and cover their faces and, and put ashes on them as if they were grieving for someone that was dying because they themselves were almost dead. And this is where he found himself. This is where this leper found himself. Anyone who came in contact with this leper, anyone who, who was just in the same room as him, not even touched him, not even rubbed shoulders with him, not even got close enough for him to speak to. If they just got in the same room as him, they were considered unclean and had to go through a whole process of getting themselves to be clean again. And so no one came in contact with them. No one touched them. No one talked to them. No one got anywhere near them. They weren't allowed to go near a city. They weren't allowed, let alone go inside a city. And so somehow this leper had heard Jesus. Uh, maybe he was at one of the open-air meetings that Jesus had. Or maybe he heard Jesus as he passed by him going into the city. But somehow this leper heard of Jesus and had... hope was a miracle. He knew that if he followed the religious laws and the Jewish leaders' uh, uh, set of regulations, there was no chance for him. He was not going to be healed. He was not going to be able to be restored. He would never see his family again. He would never be able to go to the temple again. He'd never be able to offer a sacrifice again. He would never be able to have a relationship with God again. His salvation was completely hopeless. But he thought, you know what? There's this guy that's been preaching something that's completely different than any of us have ever heard. Maybe I should go talk to him. Because at this point... At this point, uh, there is only what we read in Matthew chapter number 4 at the end there. There there is only some, some summarizing miracles that Jesus has done. There's no specific example. The Bible doesn't give a specific example. This is the first specific spelled out example of Jesus healing a specific individual person. And this leper says, you know what? So he tries to get to Jesus. In verse number 2, again, said, Behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now, what is he asking there? He may have been asking Jesus to heal him. I don't know how great his faith was. He could have been just asking Jesus to declare me clean. Because again, Jesus tells him at the end there, go to the priest. And that was, that was the, uh, a part of the regulations and the requirements. If someone thought they were cleansed from leprosy, they were supposed to go to the priest 
to be declared clean. The priest would examine them and look at them, and if they were without leprosy, they were considered clean, and they could go in back in, into society. But Jesus, uh, uh, this man recognizes him. He calls him Lord, Master. So he says, Jesus, if nothing else, will you just declare me clean? Will you just declare me clean? Will, will you make it so that I can go back into society? Jesus said, I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to completely heal you. I'm going to completely heal you. Jesus, I love this. Jesus starts off his documented healing ministry. His first recorded healing individual person. I hope you're understanding how, I think, how important we think this is. By healing somebody that nobody else wanted to touch. By reaching someone that no one else would talk to. By, by, by having a conversation with someone that everyone else rejected. By touching someone that no one else would even get close to. Jesus begins his healing ministry by healing this leper. He, and more than that, he starts off his documented healing ministry by healing someone with a disease, leprosy, that is a picture of sin. Leprosy is a picture of sin. It is, it is the rot. Leprosy is the rot of the body. Sin is the rot of the soul. There is no healing for leprosy outside of a miracle of God. There is no healing from sin out of the miracle of the cross. And Jesus says, I'm going to start this off, and I want everybody to take notice. I'm going to heal someone that nobody else has, can have an explanation for. And I'm not going to just speak to him like he does with several of the other people in Matthew 8 and 9. I'm not just going to look at him. I'm not just going to, I'm going to touch him. And that's a big, big no-no. The religious leaders, that's a big, big no-no. And you read through the Gospels, you know that they had lots of issues with Jesus and whether he was clean or unclean and some of the things that he did that broke their laws. But even to touch, even to touch a leper, that even went against what God gave Moses. You weren't even supposed to do that. You could catch leprosy. You could be as bad off as he was. And Jesus starts his healing ministry by reaching someone that in the eye, listen, listen to this, in the eye of the religious crowd of the day, the Pharisees, those that had a man-made religion to try to get themselves to God, in the eye of the Pharisees, this leper was physically in the same in, in excuse me, was physically in the same condition as someone was morally like Matthew was. Remember we talked about Matthew? And because of his position as a tax collector and because of his collaboration with the Roman Empire and because of what he was doing to his, his, his people around him, the Jewish people, he was considered to be a cursed, uh, cursed generation. Uh, he was an outcast. There was no hope for Matthew. There was no hope for uh, his restoration. There was no hope for his salvation. The religious crowd viewed Matthew and this leper the same exact way. No hope. No way, no, no way to salvation. No way to, no way to restoration. No way to have a relationship with God. No hope for someone with leprosy. They're rejected. They're despised. They're cast out. There's no cure. There's no power. There's no cleansing. And there's no hope for those of us that are in sin. Rejected. Despised. Cast out. No restoration. No uh, compassion. No healing. And Jesus... And this is the wonderful thing about this. Jesus crosses the line with this leper. 
Because this leper, he was where he was supposed to be, but he was, he was towing the line. He was outside the walls. He was outside where he was supposed to be, the, the boundaries that had been set for him. But he gets real close to Jesus. And I don't know how far away he was. Mama doesn't tell us. But he falls down. And he worships Jesus. And he says, Lord, if thou wilt, you can make me clean. If you want to, you can declare me clean. And then, if it was anybody else of that day, it would have been like the, the people that Jesus tells about in the parable of the Good Samaritan. They would have kept on walking. They would have tried to stay as, run as far away. They want this guy breathing on him. And Jesus not only stops after the multitude has been following him, he stops for this one guy. This one man that everybody knew was a leper because of how he was dressed. And not only stops, but then has a conversation with him. Not only stops, but he decides, I'm going to talk to this guy. He's just been preaching. He just finished the Sermon on the Mount. He just finished the greatest maybe the greatest passage of Scripture, the greatest oration ever given in history, the Sermon on the Mount, and he decides that he's going to talk to this guy that nobody else would even think about stopping for. I'm going to have a conversation with this guy. He crosses the line. But then Jesus takes it a step further because he crosses the line just by having a conversation with this guy, but then he touches him. He touches him. He touches him. Anybody else does that, well, you're probably getting leprosy too. You just lost a chance to talk to your friends and family and go into the synagogue and sacrifice and be saved and, and have a relationship with God. But Jesus says, no. Sorry. He touches him. He says, I will. Be thou clean. Be thou clean. Jesus crosses the line when he not only engages in conversation, but also touches this man. And immediately the Bible says, his leprosy was cleansed. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if, you know, he got nice, new, fresh, pink skin. He got a nice tan. Uh, I don't know if he got all his muscles back. I don't know if he didn't have a finger, if it grew back. Uh, I don't know how it looked. He didn't have a nose, but, you know, it's like plastic surgery. I don't know how it looked, but the Bible says immediately. Because Jesus stopped, talked to one man, touched one guy that nobody else would touch, and healed him. Uh, listen to this. Jesus is willing to cross the line to make sinners whole again. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Jesus is not willing to compromise. And he does not want you and I to compromise. He does not want us to sin. This book is the standard. He does not want us to disobey in order to fulfill the mission. But Jesus was willing to do what was not accepted. Jesus was willing to do what nobody else would do. Jesus was willing to do what was uncomfortable to save someone. Jesus was willing to do what nobody else would even consider doing. He was willing to cross the line 
to make sure somebody could be saved. He was willing to go to somebody that didn't look like him. He was willing to go to somebody that didn't talk like him, that didn't think like him, that was completely that, that normal, healthy people of the day were. This guy was dead, practically. And Jesus said, I'm going to stop. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to touch you. I'm going to heal you. Jesus crosses the line. Jesus is willing to cross the line. That's the ministry. Again, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the ministry he came for. Restoration. He crosses the line. He crossed the line for you and I. Jesus crossed the line for you and I. Think about that. You and I were the enemy of God. The enemy of God. Not just on the sideline indifferent to what God was doing. Actively fighting against him. And Jesus said, I'm going to cross the line to the enemy's side and I'm going to die for you. Not only am I going to stop, I'm going to talk to you, I'm going to touch you, and I'm going to restore you. That's what Jesus did. He crossed the line. He crossed the line for you and I. Uh, Matthew is a perfect example of that. Why does Matthew, why does the Holy Spirit give this example to Matthew to be the first recorded incident of healing that Jesus does? Why, why does the Holy Spirit give that to Matthew? Because Matthew could relate. Matthew knew about Jesus crossing the line. Matthew knew about Jesus crossing the line, being willing to call him someone who was completely rejected by society and the religious crowd of the day. Matthew knew Jesus was willing to cross the line to pull him back in. Look at Matthew chapter number 9. Look at verse number 12. Because Jesus came for the physically leprous and the spiritually leprous. He came for those who were dead physically and those who were dead spiritually. Matthew 9, look at verse number 12. The Bible says, but when Jesus heard that, this is after he calls Matthew, after he has gone to Matthew's house and he is now engaging in conversation again with other people, not physically, but morally, spiritually, that others would have no contact with, sinners and publicans. And after being questioned by the Pharisees, this is what he said, verse number 12. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, they that, have, uh, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call sinners, or excuse me, I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Listen. Jesus came for those who understand their need and are willing to admit it. See, that was the problem for the Pharisees. They were not willing to admit their need. They weren't willing to admit their need. That's, that's why you only have a few of them, Nicodemus and several others, that admitted their need for Jesus. Why? Because, and, and Jesus, I can't save you. you. You'll never be able to present the gospel to someone and get someone to make a decision to trust Christ if you can't first, if they don't first understand their need for Jesus. It'll never happen. They don't, if they don't admit that they're a sinner and that they need a savior, then why trust in one? In their minds, they're fine. And that's the religious crowd of the day was fine. But Jesus came to those who needed help. Jesus provides indiscriminate grace. Jesus provides 
indiscriminate grace. He gives it to everybody. He'll cross the line and give it to anybody. Let me qualify that, though. Jesus provides indiscriminate grace for those who are indiscriminate about sin. For those who will admit it. Uh, the Pharisees will, would never find forgiveness, even though it was available to them. They would never find forgiveness because in their minds they have no need for it. They would never uh, find forgiveness because it wasn't required. They didn't need it. They thought they were fine by themselves. Uh, they compared themselves around them uh, to those who they perceived to be worse than they were instead of comparing themselves to a holy God who would always be better. They compared themselves, the Pharisees compared themselves to the leper. This guy's falling apart, literally. We're better than he is. They compared themselves to Matthew. This guy, man, he's a traitor. He's a rebel. He, he's, he's completely rejected his people. We're better than he is. They compared themselves to the publicans and sinners that were Matthew's friends and said, we are better than they are. But what they didn't do was compare themselves to God, who is perfect. Because when you do that, see, we, we, we make that same mistake. We say, well, how could the Pharisees do that? How could they not have compassion on somebody? We do the same thing. We look around and, well, I may not be doing this or this or this, but I'm not doing that. I may be doing this or this or this, but, but man, I don't go there. Uh, I may not be doing this or this or this, but I don't do that either. We compare ourselves to others when we should be comparing ourselves to him. What, what, what's him? What does he want? What's, what's his standard? See, when we compare ourselves to God's standards and instead of creating our own based on the world around us, we never measure up and we always need a Savior. And certainly that applies to salvation. But for those of us who have trusted and accepted Christ, we need to continue to look to him every single day. We need to continue to look to him and his standard every single day of our lives because when we come to Jesus, we'll always be accepted. And, and, and that's what we need to remember. Uh, and again, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to close here. But look at Matthew chapter number 9 and verse number 35. Because what drove it all, what made it all possible, what caused Jesus, what compelled him to care for all these people, what compelled him to call his disciples and then send them out, and what compels him to send us out as well, was the compassion, his compassion. Uh, verse number 35 says, And when Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Compassion of Christ is what drove, drove it all. Compassion of Christ is what drove it all. That, that's, that's where it started and, and, and it ought to do two things for us. It ought to come for us because Jesus had compassion on us. Thank God. Jesus crossed the line for you and I. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus crossed the line. Uh, and it also ought to compel us. If Jesus had compassion on us, if Jesus crossed the line for us, then we ought to be able to do the same for others. We celebrate the Passion Week this week, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and we know what that means for us, then we ought to be sharing it with others. The compassion, compassion motivated Jesus to be on mission and to equip others for it too.
Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, but the love of Christ constrains us. It motivates us. What Jesus did for us ought to motivate us to follow him. That's what he was telling the disciples. Uh, we'll start with it next week. But when you get into Matthew chapter number 10, Jesus finishes Matthew 9 with that call for laborers to go into the harvest fields. And then he goes into chapter 10, and now we see that he's sending out his disciples. He's sending out his disciples. He said, guys, you've heard my words. You've now seen my works, my example. Now it's time to go out and do the same thing. And that's what he calls us to do, and we're going to start with that next week.